FM 96.3 AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Joining us in studio now, it is the Adjutant General of the Vermont National Guard, General Knight. Good morning, General. Morning, gentlemen. How are you? We're doing, doing good. Well. Doing good. A lot to talk about this morning. Thanks for coming in. And uh, one of the things I want to first start out mentioning is it was all over the news. Uh, PTZ, CAX, all the news outlets carried that uh, Tracy Poirier became the, made some history becoming the first Brigadier General. Yep, first uh, woman to be promoted to the rank of Brigadier General in the Vermont Army National Guard, and she earned it. Yeah, can you talk about her a little bit? Yep, she's been remarkable for us, certainly for me as an adjutant general. As I met, mentioned in my comments, uh, she's been just a, a remarkable uh, confidant for me, kind of my go-to person as the director of the joint staff. Um, but what I found most important in her comments and really kind of aligns with the direction we're going as a guard um, this is an organization that has opportunity for everybody. And, and to me, Tracy exemplifies that. She did everything that was expected of her, uh, just like any other senior officer has to do um, in our guard. And, you know, the pathways were there, and she worked hard to get there. So very, very happy to see that happen. Yeah, congratulations to Tracy Poirier making Vermont history. Yeah. Love so that. Can you explain um, the, the difference between, like, we have Brigadier General, uh, Adjutant General. Uh, how, how does it, wh- what's the differences? So you, when you're a colonel, a full colonel, yep. the bird colonel, yep. as we call it. Um, full the bird next, colonel. The yep. next step would to be get a, you get a certificate of eligibility uh, from National Guard Bureau. Uh, it's an authorization to be promoted to Brigadier General. And then the next step above that would be Major General. So that's the uh, role of the Adjutant General across the United States, all 54 states, territories, and D.C. They're all two-star billets for the Adjutant General. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's, I, I understand it because I had a friend who, whose father was a colonel and then a full bird colonel, and, mm-hmm. he, and he made sure I knew the difference about that. So then I was like, <laughs> okay, I want to know the difference. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> now, General Knight, let's talk about, the, uh, of course, the, the role of the National Guard. We know you're, the, you're everywhere when there's a crisis. And of course, Vermont's had a huge crisis this summer with the with the floods. Uh, what was the role that the Vermont National Guard played in that? Well, uh, one, I, I, my my heart goes out uh, to all those folks that were so uh, severely impacted by this incredible weather event. I think uh, condition setting uh, going into this. If you look at the difference between this event and Irene, Irene was a very concentrated twelve hour event. Uh, came and went very quickly. This one was sustained rainfall over three days. Um, I think the Winooski was, what, four or five feet higher than it was during yeah. Irene. Uh, but our role, I think, as a state, um, working with the State Emergency Operations Center um, and all those folks down there who do just remarkable work for Vermonters, um, well, we were able to embed four personnel in the state uh, EOC to help with the flow of uh, information. Um, we sent out our uh, QRF, our Quick Reaction Force, which, oddly enough, is our Army band. Um, they're usually the first ones. Out is that door. right? It is. Yep. So uh, we had them on standby. We knew what was coming. Yep. Um, worked, obviously, with the governor's staff um, and the State Emergency Operations Center. Um, and we sent out our high-water trucks to work with the Swift Water Rescue Teams. Um, in fact, we, you probably saw the news story. It was uh, in Cambridge, so working with uh, Swift Water Rescue Teams from North Carolina, Massachusetts, and Cambridge Fire and Rescue. Um, our folks were able to facilitate the rescue of 27 folks and their pets uh, from rising floodwaters. Uh, then you start to move into kind of the, the reconstruction phase. Um, 
a lot of communities obviously were without water. Mm-hmm. So we were able to deliver water, um, culverts, things like that to help get folks back on their feet. Um, but our folks are just incredibly pleased and honored to be a part of that. That's what they signed up for. And that's why we owe such a debt of gratitude to anybody that serves in our National Guard, whether Army Guard or Air Guard, because you do so much. I mean, we know that same thing during the pandemic. Uh, how many how many different things did the Vermont Guard do in regard to the pandemic? No, we did a lot. I was out there when you were building the the the, the beds, the spots over at the Champlain Expo. Yeah, the alternate care facility. Yeah. Um, and that was, uh, I'll tell you, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, to build a 400-bed facility. And this was a joint venture. It was Army and Air Guard, but it was our Air Guard civil engineers that came up with the design. Um, and it was the Army and Air Guard that actually built it, this modular facility, 400 beds, inclusive of a 50-bed negative air pressure COVID pod, um, should the need arise. Uh, but they did that. The initial build was about $235,000, which is incredibly efficient uh, in today's dollars. Oh, yeah. It was amazing to watch how quickly they were it putting won, those uh, together. won national attention because yeah. it was so well done. Yeah. Well, let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. 888 If you want to give us a call, it's McKenzie Country Classic Hotline. Feel free. Uh, now, General Knight, also, let's talk about uh, deployments. What deployments are coming up? I, I, I think I heard that there's something coming up in Tucson, Arizona. Yep. So we've got uh, two ongoing deployments, one with our fixed-wing Army Aviation uh, they're in Central Command, so Southwest Asia, um, helping to move, um, you know, small um, small groups of, of passengers and doing some logistics support. Um, they're going to be coming back. If all goes well, we'll see them back home in uh, in September. And then we've got our medical evacuation, our Blackhawks. Um, they are about 65 of our soldiers, the Blackhawk Company. Um, they're also in Central Command working out of six or eight different uh, locations in support of multiple nations uh, engaged in that area. And then we've got one coming up here um, late fall, early winter um, in support of border operations. And that's, is that Arizona? Uh, I'm not sure exactly where they're going to go yet. Uh, I think that might be remain to be seen. Okay. Um, so how does that work when you say, so, so central operations, which uh, they, they, they pick, I mean, the fact that it's a, a national guard unit, okay. Mm-hmm. And they pick them in uh, like the black Hawks, mm-hmm. the EVAC team. So how does that process work, and and why? I mean, I think I assume that our guys are our folks are getting chosen or picked or called from cent- central uh, command because they're good. But how, how does the whole process work? So we have what we don't have it. It's, it's called the patch chart, right? So if your unit patch shows up on the schedule for deployment, we will normally have a year to eighteen months notice that that deployment is coming. Timelines vary. So if, if, for instance, if it's our brigade, our infantry brigade combat team, um, that's normally a five-year cycle. So you'll do individual training, then that'll graduate to collective training, and eventually what we call a combat training center, a CTC rotation, normally at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Um, medevac units are very much in demand across the Army, so mm-hmm. that deployment cycle is much shorter, normally about three years. Uh, but you're right, our folks, I, in my view, and I understand I have a bias, we have we have probably the best Army aviation um, company uh, in the enterprise. Um, but I just look at their experience. A little over three years ago, uh, they were in the same location, um, working incredibly challenging, austere environment. And they flew over 250 medical evacuation missions in their year. And what's important to note here, for anybody who knows aviation, they did not drop a single mission, not for maintenance, not for pilot availability, air crew availability, 
they they did every mission that was assigned to them. So uh, when you get feedback from some of our partners uh, in theater with them, when they knew it was a Vermont guard coming, um, they they were very reassured that it was us. General Knight, uh, I have to ask you about this. Uh, I, I always think that we put this thing to bed, but it always kind of resurfaces, which is the Burlington City Council um, passed a resolution about the F-35 basically saying, and of course, it has no it has no authority to it. It's, it's advisory only. But they have asked the Guard to consider um, not flying the F-35s at night and instead, try, instead trying to do those trainings through simulation. Um is that even a possibility? So, Kurt, we're doing that now uh, to the degree we can. But, uh, you know, it's just an incredibly complicated and complex undertaking to, to operate that aircraft. Um, we'll certainly do everything we can to, to mitigate impacts. But those pilots have certifications and qualifications that they have to maintain. Part of that, you simply can't replicate that um, via simulation. But we'll continue doing what we can. Um, and, and I think as technology continues to grow, we'll certainly implement that um, where possible. But I'm just we curious, have to fly. did they ask you to, did the members of the Burlington City Council on this particular committee, did they call you up or members of the Guard up and say, hey, is this something that you guys can do? No. No, no call. Okay, just passed it. And, and uh, I mean, you, you kind of, it's kind of important, I imagine, that people that are going up in these F-35 planes are properly trained so that we... They're safe and everybody's safe. Yes, Kurt, that's that's actually a thing. Um, it's kind of important. <laughs> and if you look, uh, again, I go back to, to last spring, or a year ago, last spring, um, when, when I got the call from the director of the Air National Guard. And this was obviously our NATO allies were you know seriously concerned about what's going on uh, in Ukraine. So when I got the call, hey, is the 158th ready? I, I was very confident in saying, yes, we are. Um, and what those those... What our wing did, now understand this is 90 days after transitioning from 33 years of flying the F-16. We earned the operational mission in the F-35. Not 90 days later, we got that call. Less than 30 days later, they had taken their operation and gotten overseas and were flying in support of the NATO air policing mission to counter Russian aggression. Uh, they did that with 100 fewer airmen and four fewer C-17s, cargo aircraft, um, than our active duty counterparts. So we're efficient, we're available, and we're more cost-effective. So hats off to our folks for doing that and the expertise they bring. Absolutely. All right, well, we're going to take a quick two-minute break. And if you want to join the conversation, the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline. Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here. We're continuing our discussion now with Vermont's Adjutant General Gregory Knight. And uh, if you have a question for the General, give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888-414-0303. He takes on all comers, all questions. And uh, General Knight, let's talk about uh, legislative outreach. Mm -hmm. So I think last time we spoke, and I'm always going to talk about recruiting at every opportunity that I get. I don't blame uh, you. Because, you know, recruiting across the, the, the... Department of Defense is tough right now, mm -hmm. um, and it's really trying to get at the why, what makes it so difficult. And there's a whole bunch of different narratives that would, true or not, I don't know. Um, one thing I haven't done um, is actually specifically reach out to legislators, and Kurt, you were there um, for a number of years, um, 
these folks are centers of influence within our communities. They have constituencies that they can reach into. Um, one of the smartest things I, I could have done in this job, I think, was asking for a legislative caucus. And we were talking earlier, it, it, people don't understand what a caucus is. Um, it's, in essence, a legislative interest group, which differs from the committee construct, right? So I have committees of jurisdiction in both the House and the Senate. But the caucus does is it gives us, as a guard, gives me as the adjutant general, a, a venue to have conversations that are of, of concern or of import for the guard and for Vermont. Um, so that's been great. Uh, they've been very supportive of us. Uh, we've been able to get some legislation uh, from there that's been beneficial for the Vermont National Guard. Um, I'm going to extend that a little bit. I'm going to reach out. Uh, we're going to make. I'm going to invite them. I'm hoping uh, to do an evening social at Norwich University uh, mid-October. Uh, but I want to talk specifically recruiting. Um, I think there's several conversations to have here. But if we don't, what folks don't understand is the gravity of, of what Vermont is dealing with. We have a tough recruiting demographic anyway. Um, there's a lot of misinformation, disinformation, misunderstanding of what it means to serve in the Vermont National Guard. Um, there's a lot, of, lot to talk about, but mostly I want to say, here's what's going to happen if we don't fix this. Our force structure will change. We will lose capability and capacity. We will lose federal funding. And the bottom line is, I'm not, I don't think I'm being melodramatic, what happens when we have an incident like this and the governor calls and says, I need you to do whatever mission. And you can't. And you can't, or not to the degree you should. I don't want to be that person. Um, I want to fix this. And I certainly don't want to leave this recruiting challenge for whoever comes after me. And yeah. so that's important to get that word out. The recruitment is that serious of an issue that you don't want to be in that position at some point down the road. Yep. Well, right now I've got about 700 vacancies across the Air and Army National Guard. So just Great from an economic perspective, Kurt, think about this. So in FY22, I don't have the 23 numbers yet, but FY22, the Guard brought in $152 million in payroll and benefits into the Vermont economy. Now imagine what that number would be if I filled those vacancies. Had mm-hmm. opportunities now for 700, 700. Vermonters. 700. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. So... Not a good spot to be in. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for your service, uh, General. I really appreciate it. And I, I, according to the latest Housing and Urban, Urban Development Statistic Report, there's a little over forty thousand homeless vets in this country, and we know we got a lot of homeless people in Burlington. Has the military ever considered reaching out to their to their vets? And, and with another soldier and maybe providing facilities and asking them to come back for a couple of years to clear them of their addictions and provide them housing and maybe retraining. I mean, you just said you have seven 700 openings or something like that, job openings. I just feel terrible that these people gave up years of their lives to defend us, and now they come back to a whole different world and they find themselves on the streets through addiction or whatever. But I think we have facilities. We've got bases everywhere. There must be room. There must be dorms. We really need to get these people off the streets. Right. I, I just hope there's something you guys can do. All right, let's Thank hear you. from the general. No, I, I really appreciate that, and, and you're you're hitting on something that uh, should be a concern to everybody. It certainly is to me, um, and I think that also ties into what all of us are seeing is is the mental health crisis that we're dealing with. Um, I met with our, our congressional delegation and had I'll expand that conversation to address homelessness because I don't think I've done that specifically yet. So thank you for the prompt. Um, but I think there's a linkage there to the mental health crisis that we're dealing with, um, certainly in the veteran population. I don't have empirical data. I can tell you, just from experience, we don't have enough mental health providers in Vermont. 
and that that's simply a fact. Yeah. Um, and we certainly don't. Are they in the Tricare network? Are they taking new patients? Do they specialize in PTSD or adjustment disorder? Um, so, for all my advocacy and, and encouraging folks to go get help, I mean, I go to the vet center. I mean, if you think this job's a picnic, I got news for you. Right. But at least I've got some place to go and vent. That works for me. That may not work for everybody. And they are, for all their wonderful efforts, a limited resource. So we need to grow that. But the homeless question, that's, we don't have much infrastructure here in Vermont, um, but that is a question I think I should bring up to the congressional delegation. So thank you for asking it. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. It's, it's Airmen from the Vermont National Guard. We're flying uh, F-35s, let's say, along the Polish border with Ukraine, you know, spotting targets for Ukrainian air defenses. What Would our governor know about it? Would Phil Scott uh, know that that's, that that's happening, or what, what's the process there for that? So when we get mobilized uh, on federal orders, we fall under Title 10 of U.S. Code, normally our normal status when we're in response to, for instance, floods, uh, natural disasters, things like that. We're in Title 32, so we remain under control of the adjutant general and the governor as the commander-in-chief of the Guard. Uh, but when we go on federal missions, Army or Air, it doesn't matter. Um, the adjutant general and governor don't have purview um, over those missions. Um, so it's, in essence, out of our hands. You would fall under the purview, um, the authority of the combatant commander, where those Africa command, Africa command, Central Command, European Command, and so forth. So that's that's the distinct difference. When it, when it switches, it, there literally is, okay, here you go, and hands off. And that's that's the, the uniqueness of the Guard, is mm-hmm. that dual mission. Right. So we have a state mission, and then we have a federal mission. So when, with, when the National Command Authority says, you're going, and it comes back to that patch chart, or in some cases with the Air Guard, a short notice deployment, we have to be ready for that. Let's go back. Another call. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Uh, yes. Uh, good morning, General. I'm, I'm sorry. You probably gave us this number, but I missed it. How many current members do we have in the total in the Guard and the state of Vermont? And the other thing I want to say is, uh, hello, Greg, this is Brian Joyce calling. I was at the very beginning of your career and of mine with WCAX back in 1990 when I did a story with you about a burglary ring you were busting uh, as, I think, a corporal with the Burlington Police Department. If you remember that. I, I, well, Brian, good to hear from you. I thought your name came up the other day. I'm sure it was in a good context. I just don't remember what. <laughs> That's outstanding. Uh, I think I do. I think uh, my daughter and your son uh, work together for Homeland Security. I think that's that's correct. Very that's cool. right. Yep. Uh, yep, now, what about son. the what about the we're almost out of time. What about the numbers? So yeah, yeah so the no, numbers. I, I so just the, the total number of, of folks we have uh, in the guard. Uh, you gave us the number you liked it, 700 more, but I missed the total number we currently have. Army, right. Army and Air. Army and Air. So I should have yeah. about 1,100 in the Air National Guard. I'm about 100 short there. Um, I should have um, about 2,500 in my Army National Guard, and I'm short about 600 there. Um, 600 in the Army Guard. Yeah, so what that means, obviously, it has impact on what we can do. Uh, we can do more, yeah. uh, but we're just unable to do that um, right now. Right, thanks, thanks, thanks for the call, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Bringing up some old memories. Now, look, before we got to go in just a minute, but I got I don't want to leave before we mention this big September open house. That's correct. Thank you for, for bringing it up, Kurt. So on this is for everybody out there, September 9th, this is kind of a follow-on. Um, what I mentioned last time, we got to do a better job educating our public. Um, there are stakeholders. I mean, that's, that's what makes the Guard. Um, two-thirds of the organization are part-time. But come see us. Um, this is not Area 51. You know, we're, we're not a mystery to anybody, and we shouldn't be. 
Um, come see us September 9th uh, from 10 o'clock to 3 at Camp Johnson right next to St. Mike's. Um, we'll have a lot of events going on there. Get to meet your guard, uh, both Air and Army. And then following, we have what we call a, a soldier showcase, and that's out at Ethan Allen Firing Range in Jericho. So you actually get to go out there and see things that go boom and watch our uh, our soldiers actually do their work. And, and maybe that'll be of interest to folks that want to see what it what that's, it means to be in the and guard. And that's a big event for everybody, families. Everybody. Come see us. All right, there you go. September 9th. September 9th 9th at Camp Johnson right here in Colchester, and then September 10th out at Ethan Allen Firing Range in Jericho. All right, Lieutenant Rivard and General Knight, thanks for being on the morning drive.